Hi, and welcome to the GNC Research Project. I'm Michelle Hamilton-Page, and the episodes to come are essentially my doctoral research in podcast format. I used Grounded Theory to talk to 25 emerging leaders about what it is to be visibly queer in the workplace today. We'll talk about contested terminology like gender nonconforming. We'll talk about what it is to be non-binary, lesbian, and queer in the workplace today. I look forward to your feedback and to continuing the discourse about what this reality is like and what we're learning about what it is to be a true leader that can hold paradoxes. So welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm uh, welcoming my, my friend and my colleague in this journey of research, uh, Baron Cadell, who is uh, an integral part of my community, someone that I've known for many years now and someone that I've talked to uh, at great length about the research, about the concept of being a uh, gender nonconforming dyke and a butch dyke. Um, and what that means, we've talked about doing work together around the subject. Um, Marin is many things, an artist. Um, Marin is a performing artist, uh, has uh, recorded and released songs that in the 90s were tunes that I can tell you where I was and what I was thinking when they were playing <laughs> on the radio. Yeah. Um, a librettist, a writer, um, a thinker. And for me, in my journey thus far, a philosopher and a confidant and someone I consider a, a padre, a spiritual in my life. Welcome, Marin. And I look forward to having this conversation with you as someone who has done transcription of some of the interviews. I think we decided there were probably eight interviews that you transcribed. Um, so I also right. feel like you know this, uh, you know the process, you know some of the people uh, that that I spoke with and some of the issues intimately. So it's a thrill to talk to you about what, what we've both learned during this process. Yeah, um, it was really interesting to kind of dig into it um, by being by transcribing. And, and anyone who transcribes a lot probably knows your brain goes into this sort of automatic thing where your fingers are a big chunk of your brain is listening and sending it out through your fingers, but another part of your brain is observing that and following the conversation. And I, I found the, the interviews really um, very interesting and very informative. And um, one of the things that I like that you had set questions and that there weren't a lot of them so that it was really much more kind of opening up a topic and you know, passing it off to them in a sense. Because that it, what's interesting about that is they had some structure in that way, but they were completely different each time because of who was responding. But the way that... Um, the interviews unfolded and the kinds of things that almost every single interviewee that I heard said there were, you know, and I know you're looking for those kind of patterns and coding, yeah. uh, but, but you know, and that's what was fascinating to me to be like, God, that came up again. Look at that. Like it just the, mm -hmm. um, and I also felt like there was um, really quickly, uh, really rapidly during the interview, even, I mean, um, a sense of bonding to each other and a sense of um, camaraderie or that's happened to you too kind of thing. I, I think it felt like a lot of these people figured, well, it just has to be this way for me and weren't aware that a lot of people um, like them, other gender conforming women, had, has had, have had the same kinds of issues. Yeah. 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 No, that's interesting. Uh, it's been, a, it's been really interesting to hear you talk about the things, the patterns that, that have occurred to you and what for you has been sort of most interesting or most meaningful. And that'd be a place, let's start there. So having, you know, read deeply and listened deeply with me uh, to both me and the participants, which is also interesting because so much of what I'm doing is 
about what came up. So much of what's coded is what uh, what I've coded and, and what I've analyzed is what has come up for the participants. But mm. the interesting thing about you is you heard both of us, right? And there were um, um, times where absolutely in this kind of uh, methodology, you're constructing meaning together. So I was... I started off by talking about what my pronouns were and she, her and, and who I am and um, a little bit about why I was doing this research and then let it go from there. But there were absolutely times where I talked about, yes, I understand. Or I even had people say, I don't know if this has been in your experience and asked me, has this been your experience as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it was a yes. And sometimes it was a, it was a no, but so with us, let, let's start with a question that will sort of guide where we go. And what did you learn most? Like, what did you, what were some of the aha moments in the, the learning that you did in, in um, listening to and transcribing these conversations? One of the things that I, that sort of stuck with me is how much um, everyone I heard has survived a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of workplace uh, difficulties, harassment, all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, and has pretty much has sometimes taken avenues to correct that um, those issues when they come up, but they've also taken on a lot and not had much um, empathy back towards them. And they, I mean, to the one, they were all really interested in. Um, making other people feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about the bathroom issue and people, you know, every person I can think of who talked about that issue talked about not like, why are these damn people, you know, wondering if I'm a guy or it's more like, I know I, I try to make myself smaller. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's lots of concessions. There's a lot of, um, also, I think a lot of these people, these women have done a lot of work. There's a lot of, they know who they are. They've worked, to understand themselves better and thus they understand other people as well. And I think that's a big distinction. Um, This would be, I made a note to myself last night that some of the things, some of the assumptions I think about seeing a butch woman is, uh, there's so many assumptions, but a lot of them are so surface, they would almost be piffles, like something to just dismiss is like, well, that's very stupid for you to think that. But when that person is the manager, you know, or the, the employer, above this person is, is going to be responsible for what happens to them in their work concerns are stupid and, and then well like well you just want to be a guy or what these things are so but you know people don't say those things they react and perform in other ways but there are those kinds of things going on and i think that's the kind of stuff that's one thing i think would be it would be interesting in in future training for um some of these to talk more about what butch, butch women are actually like, which of course there's no single like what they're like, but because I think there's just a lot of um, almost fear. I mean, a gender non-conforming woman, and as you've, as you've said in some of your writing going into this, uh, there's no hiding. You know, there's no kind of, uh, uh, there's no hiding and there's no um, question as to the sexual orientation. They come as a package, which they don't for most people. Yeah. Gender expression, sexual orientation, right? This is, it's just how it is for um, all of the women you talk to. Um, and I think, I, and, and because a lot of them are very strong, there's just a lot that I think uh, a potential employer or an employer or a manager um, is, is holding on to that are really antiquated, even, as right. I said, silly ideas yeah. that if they were kind of um, 
talk through. Even, you know, when you're when talking about you're thinking about your TED talk, even that kind of thing of just sort of saying, because unless people know a gender non-conforming woman themselves, um, even if people are queer and they think they know them, if they don't actually know a butch woman, they probably don't really know. Like I've learned a lot about the identity, yeah, the identity, but what, what, the, what the person, how that person has developed. And it was interesting how similar that was across yeah. all of the people that I transcribed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate, um, I, I, I appreciate your insight. So to your, to your point about the stereotypes and your point about uh, managers, so we, we, we will talk about at some point about where to go to, where do we go with this? Like, what do we do with these findings, right? So let's kind of stick a pin in that because we, you and I have talked about that a little bit, but let's stay with the learnings. What started to become obvious to me when we're talking about how gender non-conforming or non-binary women, dykes, lesbians, as they, no, no one said I'm not a woman. And that was, that was part of the, the, you know, the call to um, participate is that you are someone who embodies what it is to be a woman. Cause I was trying to also tease out the misogyny that happens, right? Which is also around leadership and the kind of stuff you're talking about making yourself smaller. I don't know a lot of men that talk about making themselves smaller. Um, and I don't know uh, situations where that would necessarily come. So without getting into this, not that, like men, not women, whatever, let's talk about women. Let's talk about the women that you're talking about. So in the bathroom situation where you're, where I am aware, where other people are aware and people have talked about in the interviews, being aware of there being some potential fear in this mm. like extremely gendered place, it's fascinating for me, right? So bathrooms are, are they're private places in women's um, bathrooms. There's no urinal. It's like you're going into a, a stall. You're closing the door. You got a lock on the door most of the time, depending on you know where I've certainly been in bathrooms when I'm traveling where there isn't always a door or whatever. But generally, in in the places where people were were working in and the global north where the people were being interviewed, um, that fear around you don't look right in this bathroom when you're a gender non-conforming or non-binary um, lesbian or, or dyke or however they identify um, is something that has to get navigated by that individual. And that's where that's smaller, making yourself like, someone talked about that happening with the mask on during COVID and how difficult it was to navigate that eye contact and make that eye contact. Yes, like nodding. Yes, I know what your fear is. I know what you're thinking. I, right, right. I shouldn't be here. Yeah. And with the mask on, it's hard to smile. And they talked about how important smiling is in those places, uh, in those yeah. bathrooms. People talked about how much easier it is to work from home during COVID, that they're not having to navigate the bathroom. That came up. Um, yeah. But one of the ways that I think it gets navigated, and I think one of the things that caused me in the memos to start asking if people were feminists was their navigation of that fear, was their navigation of the bathroom as a place where gender-based violence is something that, that women are particularly worried about if, you per, if you're perceived as being male. And so this is the place from which I think that common thread started. And I started to ask about that was in this question around how people navigate bathrooms um, because they were starting, they were talking about doing it from this awareness of violence against women and, and the risk of it. Because we're women, one, right, and have experienced that, probably yes. to a person. I don't know a lot of women that haven't been worried about their own safety. And so yep. you see that and you're navigating that, but also from a position of being a political person who has an analysis around 
interlocking systems of oppression, which is that of a feminist, right? So, um, so it's, it is a bathroom, it is a liminal space, it's a contested space in some ways when we're in it. Someone feels that as a place, a thing that could be um, compromising safety, which participants talked about, realizing that that fear comes from that, that the person's mm-hmm. safety, the woman's safety might be at risk. And then how they mitigate that is that interaction. And so they've talked, everyone that talked about that, like how they engage, talks about either making themselves smaller or engaging verbally or um, with their eye contact or how much they depended on smiling or making that, trying to make that person feel at ease with, um, with their, their uh, body language, as well as with like saying something to someone as well. Yeah. So that, 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 that feminist question came directly out of that, that bathroom thing. And that's bathrooms in the workplace. Let's be clear. It's not just bathrooms when you're traveling, although that, that did come up. Someone talked about um, fairies. One of the participants talked about oh. how bad being in spaces, and, and Jack Helberstrom talks about this too, um, or Judith Helberstrom in uh, Female Masculinity, talks about the bathroom as a contested space um, around gender. And um, and someone said, with frustration, um, yeah, the bathrooms yeah. and the fairies are so frustrating. Like it's just, it's such a place where they're, they're constantly being told they don't belong there. Um, and that's also felt as a, as a kind of rejection in an identity that isn't rejecting embodying being female, right? There weren't discussions about dysphoric relationships to the body around being in female spaces. There were, there were conversations about how clothes fit and curviness and what felt professional and, and those kinds of things around, um, around body embodiment. But there wasn't uh, a thing around feeling like women's bathrooms were not the place that that this had, people that were in our interviews um, felt like they shouldn't be. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I think when they talked about um, you know the ease of having um, unisex bathrooms or whatever the word you know, and also single person occupancy um, yeah. kind of um, bathrooms is that um, is that it's more comfortable because they don't have to go through that. Yes. Um, having to worry worry that someone else is worried and i think that's an important distinction it's it makes it easier for them not to make other people feel uh nervous or or unsafe as opposed to this is really good for me you know that that's something i think is reflected back a lot is how much really i think a lot of gender non-conforming women are seen as just by existing for some people they seem confrontational um or um you know, tough, or this, this one's going to be a difficult one, that kind of thing, when in fact, I heard consistently about accommodation and also about support that they were, they were leading, but they were leading different ways than usually than the bosses above them who thought they were not doing a good job at whatever they were um, doing, or scapegoating them, literally almost gaslighting them in terms of um, the kind of work, well, yeah, just really sloppy bosses who would, you know, not have a, some kind of assignment done and then would blame it on their junior who happened to be this, you know, so this is horrible and maybe would have been with any, uh, you know, in any relationship with yeah. this particular lazy. <laughs> yeah. Lazy that, I mean, so c- coming to solution, right? So that what an easy solution having, having 
genderless bathrooms or having single occupancy bathrooms or making mm. single occupancy bathrooms genderless bathrooms so that you you can it's both it's all it's whatever genderless yeah. or all genders or whatever however they do it but that that someone did talk about that um in a major uh, office building in a downtown center in canada and said that that had happened in their in their office building and it had made such a difference for the level of anticipation and anxiety that they had going into a place and this is what we're, i'm calling gender policing going into a place where their gender was going to be policed and and like as as you talked about earlier on this is a gender that's connected to sexual orientation for everyone that i talk to that they are the gender identity and sexual orientation of these this identity and these individuals is connected so your gender is being policed but it also feels homophobic both of those things are both of those things are happening. I would ask a question about the one and the other one would get the answer about the other thing, even in terms right. of being visibly queer. What's the cue? The cue is that you look gender nonconforming and therefore right. are probably queer. Um, so you're being policed in, in these spaces and they're saying, I don't have to worry about whenever I have to use the loo that I'm going to get policed. It's just it's, yeah. that's a solution. Yeah, it's a very easy solution. And of course, depending on who, who else is in the, um, who else is already in the bathroom, that that kind of, because you're, because sexual orientation is read right away, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna feel entirely safe because you know, because <laughs> you know, a lesbian, a lesbian is just gonna go for like, a, it's so insane, but you know, will be, be a, a threat of some kind. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes it does, the, the relaxation level doesn't really go down much once they realize it is a woman, you know, if yeah. they have sort of um, backward or, or, or uneducated views. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I think that's helpful too, right? So the signal is around being gender nonconforming, but even when you're put to rest, you put their minds to rest that you are a woman, then it signals the sexual orientation piece, which is where then the concerns about predatory or whatever the conceptions are, around um, someone who is uh, queer, who is, who is a dyke or a lesbian, is going to be interested in, in anyone, no matter who they are, and or there's also, it's, it's, it becomes a sexualized space, and it, then it becomes, this, it becomes this threat. So the threat, I think it's a good point, right? So the threat, the threat when we're hearing from participants that they're experiencing that, the threat is both things. So it's yeah. like, you're the wrong gender, oh no, you're the right gender, well then, <laughs> yeah, so this is a really, I mean, it's an interesting, this is why those, those spaces, those liminal spaces that are so policed, that the policing is both things, gender identity and then sexual orientation. And it's, I mean, it's, I mean we experience homophobia all the time. So then you're dealing with both things and you're trying to navigate in the bathroom what is then also a homophobic, potentially you're expecting that or it's happening response to you and you're standing there going yeah no i'm not a guy but yes i am the thing you think i am and then you're dealing with homophobia um it's interesting you know i might cut this part out so i'm just going to say it <laughs> and then i'm going to decide whether i'm going to cut it out or not yeah um i am hanging out with people who um who will like appreciate women on the street and i I say to them all the time, I don't do that. I don't make eye contact. I'm not cruisy. I certainly don't do that in the in the workplace because yeah. I don't want there to be a perception that I'm in some way predatory. And again, as a feminist, um, 
I don't want to make women uncomfortable like that. And that's, that's some of the ways that that leadership, so, so the kinds of things you're talking about in terms of working to um, put people at ease, uh, mm. that's at some of the center and that's in the bathroom, but that's also in the boardroom. That's also in meetings. And we're hearing about that even with um, um, very hyper-feminized workspaces. So we heard from people that are in healthcare that work in mostly female-dominated um, uh, mostly straight, uh, mostly, mostly heteronormative um, places, where as a, a, a butch dyke, um, they are, or as a gender non-conforming lesbian, or as a non-binary lesbian, they're, um, they're essentially neutered. It's like their sexual orientation just doesn't exist in that, for that staff, for the mm. people that they're working with, that they've talked about um, being uncomfortable in hyper-feminized situations, They've talked about like token gifts at um, ceremony, ceremonial events being um, very feminized, very feminine um, tokens that just don't fit with who they are, people they've worked with for years, and this being a kind of erasure. And so you've got both of the, the sides of the coin, right? Where it's like you're hypersexualized because you're in the wrong bathroom and you're dyke. And yet when you're working in this professional place where everyone else can bring, you know, relationship status, heteronormative stuff, you've got to leave that behind and or you're not going to be acknowledged for being, you know, someone who is queer, someone who is uh, gender nonconforming in yeah. those in those practices like um, award ceremonies or, uh, you know, something that's highly feminized that doesn't fit with that person's gender. Yeah. Uh, so we had we had uh, incidences where that was talked about as well, which can seem like a small thing, but is actually denying both the sexual orientation and the gender identity and really the wholeness of who an individual is around their sexuality and their and their gender identity. Um, yeah. it is, it, it's an erasure and it's it's problematic. It's, it, you're right. It's true. And it's I think there's a in a sense, another layer um, when you talked about it, the hypersexualized in the in the bathroom setting, um, and then uh, neutered, as you said, in the in the workplace setting. But again, I I sort of come back to um, assumptions, really simplistic assumptions that people make. I think there's also a problem with um, sexual orientation in the workplace, like out in the workplace as well, not in the bathroom, in terms of either neutered in the way that you say, like the, the gift giving or whatever, like all the girls in the office get the same gift bag or whatever. Yeah. But um, uh, there's, there can also be unwanted sexual attention towards a gender nonconforming woman, which goes back to what you were saying earlier about yeah. if, if, if it's known this person is a lesbian, they kind of want anyone and or everyone. Yeah. And the people who respond to that in a kind of favorable, it's not favorable for anyone, but this kind of flirtatious way, um, I'm talking about heterosexual people, who, women who just, I don't know, they think it's thrilling or something. Um, or in a very, in a, in a fear-based way of, um, I mean, they, they come down to the same thing in the end. Just yeah. more discomfort. And, and all of the, all these things we're talking about take up a lot of space. Yeah. A lot of um, otherwise usable for the, the job that they have, as opposed to thinking, about or trying to navigate or trying to mitigate um, instead of being the best you know x that they can be in the job that is assigned to them yeah um, which was that this was very apparent to me as well in this uh, in these interviews yeah there was one interview where someone talked about um, 
when they came out, when they acknowledged. So in, in every case, when I would ask, are you out? People are like, yeah, yeah, I'm out. Either, what do you mean by out? Yes, of course I'm out. I showed up at the interview looking like this, right? right. So the gender non-conforming signals the, signals the sexual orientation is queer. Um, so someone after the interview came back and said, there was, an, there was another thing I wanted to talk to you about. And that's um, an incident when they confirmed, yes, they had a girlfriend and they were out with their, their, their girlfriend on the weekend. And this person um, started talking to them about kink and started talking to them about, you know, what they, what, what they had done that was, you know, other than straight vanilla sex and, and hypersexualized and sort of exoticized their own sexual life in relation to what this person's life was. And they were like, I felt like I needed a shower afterwards. Yeah, just, yeah, really. It felt terrible. And it was, and it was like, in no way is what, like, even if they were into that, <laughs> like they were, they were going there and saying, like, it was like, it was completely inappropriate in terms of that hypersexualization. Yeah, it's not a workplace conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, um, as a transgender man, I was shocked when I uh, was first coming out to people, and this is like in the early 2000s, 2003 kind of thing. Um, I told you, I think I told you this before, that when my, <clears throat> my primary care um, physician, when I told her, you know, in a good planned way um, that I wanted to transition, her first question was, have you always been a lesbian? And I, I was so... I, 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 didn't, I didn't answer in a good way because I, I was so kind of aghast. Also, because at that point in time, transition was in the hands of the medical professionals. You could find who would treat you because it was not at all like it is today. Yeah. So there was a lot of like, you know, accepting, th accepting second rate care sometimes just so we could transition. Yeah. Um, but, but the things that were said to me, um, I, there's a lot of psychology involved in this in terms of what the, the, the taboo of sex you know, in our culture. Um, like you just talked about with that gender non-conforming when woman like saying she had a girlfriend and someone talking to them about the kink in their lives. Whoa! Um, I experienced the same thing with really like, things I didn't want to hear from people. When I told them I was transitioning, which was about my gender expression, right. they started, I don't even want to say, but it was exactly the same kind of thing. Yeah. A hyper um, sexualization that came on immediately because surely I would understand if I'm weird like this, yeah. you know, I must be weird like that. Thank you for listening to the GNC, also known as the NB Research Project. You can learn more about the research and the project at nbresearchproject.com and get involved in the dialogue about the work there.